Hi folks, Justin here. Welcome to the Deceptively Clever Podcast. My friend John and I met many years ago at university, and now we call each other once a week to lie about historically significant objects. It works like this. One person gives the other an object to type into their internet search engine of choice. They are only allowed to look at images, no peeking in the articles or captions. The first person then introduces a thing before giving three key statements about the object. One of these statements is a complete lie. I'm sure you can guess what comes next. This one begins with an anecdote I have been waiting months to complain about. Somewhat reluctantly, but I match with, let's call her Annabelle, because she's got a Harry Potter reference in her profile. And it doesn't matter what you get a you get a match if you've got Harry Potter because we might have something to talk about. Yeah. Next day, fr- I do that in the middle of the night. Friday, I get, hey, your typical Sunday sounds pretty amazing. Bracket, just a few minor changes to suit my personal preferences. <laughs> Smiley face, close bracket, and I'm like, what? I'm not even gonna. And then I, the next day, I go, you know what? I am gonna. I need to. <laughs> I need to hear about this. So I send back, hello. What's getting changed? And she goes, hi, remove the avocado, change the coffee for tea. Apart from that, the rest sounds pretty spot on. Well, Annabelle, we're not changing out the avocado. <laughs> I'm definitely not getting rid of the coffee for tea. And I want no business with anyone who's ever going to suggest those two things. Right, what am I searching? You might not even have to search this one, Justin, because I have gone for one of the most basic objects that I can think of. Good. And that probably is in most people's houses so scrap the search engine go to your cupboard because we're looking at coffee filters coffee filters an area so close to my own heart that i probably could take one over it i'd be quite happy um i don't have any coffee filters in the house though but i'm going to be a lot more specific and i'm going to talk about the invention of the coffee filter the invention of the coffee filter i feel like there are lots of different coffee filters are we talking about anything in Pacific? We are talking about the paper coffee filter that is used by most people and the original concept that was invented. The paper that you turn into a cone? Yep. In a, yep. You put it in your coffee pot, you put your coffee grounds in, pour your water over it, you get a nice cup of coffee. You get. What's your bloom time? Don't ask me these questions. I refuse to answer them because I don't know what that means. Right, okay. I've realised that I, that I have picked this um, and now speaking to a coffee expert, so I, I I've never made. Constantly... I've literally never made a paper filter coffee in my life. Okay, that's not. It's not really done in Australia. It's only done by people who are really into coffee, which I am. But I don't have any of the equipment, so you are very safe in me knowing this because, um, yeah. But I'm, I'm aware they're quite big in America, and they're definitely big in specialty coffee in Europe. And this, I will say that this was given to me by Morgan because it does have a very interesting history. Excellent. And I think I think you will enjoy it. I'm thoroughly excited. Yeah, I'm going to look it up anyway, but just because I want to see it. Uh, but I think we've described it for people. Yeah, it's a bit of paper. It's got a slice in it. You pull it into a cone. You put it into the top of a cone-shaped thing. Coffee, yep. water. The coffee drips through the coffee grounds. The paper filters coffee out. You end up with beautiful golden brown reddish coffee at the bottom. Yep, exactly. Basically, a very nice, efficient way to make a nice cup of coffee. Yep. So, it was invented by a woman called Melita Benz in 1908. You might want to Google Melita Benz, actually. Oh, Melita needs a look. 
There you go. And she was a German housewife. And she wanted to make something that would help make her coffee that wasn't, it wasn't over-brewed or it wasn't grainy with coffee grounds that were still in your coffee. And she was generally just fed up of cleaning coffee pots that had basically just lots of leftover coffee grounds that were hard to scrape off these copper pots and all this stuff. So very much an invention to just smooth out and make sure that you can have a nice cup of coffee. Um, and she was struck by a moment of ingenuity and invented the coffee filter that everyone knows today, which is obviously a paper circle, as you said before. Uh, you put your coffee in, put your hot water in, and it drips quickly enough that when you fill the pot of coffee, it'll still be hot, but it drips slowly enough that it takes in all the coffee as well. So it's just sort of a perfectly timed uh, coffee brewing <coughs> mechanism. And very, very simple, obviously, because it's just a piece of paper. I've got a quote here from her son when he was interviewed by a German uh, publication in the 40s who said that his mother had an excellent taste in coffee and was often irritated by the coffee grounds in her cup, just to sort of emphasise the simplicity of it. And that's pretty much all I've got as the nice basis, because I'm going to get into the most of it with our statements. So would you like any... Would you like the statements now, or would you like any questions? I would take the statements, but I just want to comment on the barbarity of just tipping the coffee grounds into the cup up until 1908. That is... This person should be heralded as our great saviour. I think, I think there was coffee filters at the time, but I think they were made of cloth, and they weren't very effective. And there was, like, there was basically different alternatives that you could use to make coffee. And I think it was... You could also have like a copper pot that had holes in that would like wouldn't catch everything but would catch some of them, which was causing problems. Oh yeah, I can see one of those. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily an invention that was completely brand new, but it basically made everything more efficient. Yeah. Because coffee coffee at this time was getting a lot more popular. So it's like and it was it was before before this time it was very much for wealthier people and now it was for sort of everyone because it was just getting more popular and cheaper at this time in Germany so good yeah we're exploiting some poor farmers somewhere further away we can have coffee for everybody now excellent yeah that's the all right uh, that's the top, uh, top I'm tip. thoroughly interested really excited ready for a <laughs> statement I'm going to type the statement so that they're clear statement one statement one she didn't patent the original idea and it was stolen by someone else it was stolen by Henrik Buchner, who stole the idea and patented it before Benz could. In Germany? In Germany, yeah. Anywhere else? Uh, no, just in Germany. Okay. So statement okay. two. Her most successful attempt at making the coffee filter was using her son's notebook from school. Good. And then statement three. It was the definition of a family business and she started it with her husband and her two sons. Okay, good statements. Shall we go top to bottom and face the Inquisition? Didn't patent it, stolen. Patent law was not my favourite topic in intellectual property, but intellectual property was my favourite topic at law school. <laughs> I've, I've realised that I'm just like, I've given these statements and you're an expert in coffee and uh, law, so uh, let's get into this. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Laws around the world were very, very varied at that time anyway. Intellectual property law, about as much so as any other. But yep. the first question I have is, how did Henrik Buchner know 
or come to know of the invention? Did he buy it? Had she already started selling them? So she, at first, was... She hosted um, coffee afternoons. So because this was a new thing that she had, she would bring people round and a lot of her acquaintances, and she would host these coffee afternoons in which she would show everyone how it works because you had to actually show people how it worked. And I believe his wife attended one, told him, and he then patented it because he was, at the time, he was based in the University of Dresden, which is where... Uh, I forgot the name. Which is where... Um, Melita Benz lived. She was based in Dresden as well. So it's just basically passed from her to her, to his, from Melita to her friend, who happens to be his wife, if that makes sense. <laughs> that, so he I, found out about it because he was close to the source when it was first being used. She did not start yes, selling exactly. this in supermarkets and then have it stolen, which no. makes it a viable possibility. Secondly, how long did the patent cover in Germany at this time? I honestly don't know that the answer to that question because it didn't go into that much detail when I was researching it. Mm -hmm. But what I have gathered is that he was patenting a lot of stuff. <laughs> because uh, I think, serial patenter. Yeah, you hear about like, wasn't Edison one and like didn't Alexander Graham Bell steal the patent for the phone? It's sort of... It just sounds like it was happening all the time. <laughs> there was a land grab, yes. Uh, classic story. More resources, get them in quicker. And it's probably like a case of German intellectual versus uh, German housewife. So it's like <laughs> people are going to go for him yeah. a bit more, I think. He, he looks at it and goes, I could sell this around the world to everyone forever. And she looks at it and goes... Me and my friends are going to have nicer coffee yeah. right now. <laughs> and maybe it'll give our family something to do and bring in some nice money. Who who wins that one? Yeah. Uh, quite, he did, quite, he, yes. He did actually have... I'll just throw this as a little extra fact because I quite like it. He did actually have one very successful patent because he did do a lot and he didn't really do anything with the coffee filter. It was... She ran away with it before he could, basically. She, she was more successful. But um, he was responsible for the gyro compass, which is a, uh, a compass that doesn't rely on magnetic fields. It requires, uh, like, everlasting gyro spheres, basically. I found that's that cool. really interesting when I Googled that it. That is cool. That is, that's a good one. That could have been an object, too. Yeah. I know, yeah. Who knows? It might be one day. It might, be, it might come back. I'm quite satisfied with this statement. I can't think of anything glaringly obvious. Well, did, did, was there a good outcome? Did, uh, did yeah, she have yeah, to? Yeah, because yeah. it was very much just sort of... I don't even know if she adapted it or anything. She just sort of carried on doing what she was doing and there wasn't really any issues. I think he probably just sort of... He wasn't going to walk into Dresden and stop her using his patented coffee filter in her yeah. coffee house when he'd stolen it from her, he went on to sell it in Berlin and Munich. And I think she, I think she was already making a bit of a name for herself already in like the local community especially. So yeah. it's very much like, go away with your stupid <laughs> yeah. uh, theft. Yeah, she was happy. Yeah, she was sorted. She had the best coffee in the world, so I'm going to go ahead and say you know, <laughs> there were things working out for her. Statement two, son's notebook. Which subject was a notebook for? So 
I don't think it was for a specific subject. It was his general notebook because it was the blotting paper that you would use with like uh, old timey ink and uh, pen. So it's 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 to clean your pen once you've started it to then start writing. So it's slightly blotting paper. Yeah. Yeah, it's slightly thicker paper, and it let the water. It was like the perfect thickness that would let the water drip through quick enough, but not so quick that it would just tear apart. Okay. I like that you've managed to bring in one of my other passions in life, fountain pens and bottled ink. Uh, blotting paper is an underrated underrated concept in the world, I think, let alone product. Is that what you use it for? Do you? I don't actually know what blotting paper is. You don't need it now. With a dip pen or a quill, when you pour it, pulled it out the tip would be really covered in a in ink and it would be a big blob ready to go so you just touch that down that clears everything that's at the bottom of the nib and then the feed is designed to provide consistent flow after that so you're writing really quickly oh there you go i was right there you go you dip you go blotting paper then you just write and yeah, it's a good way to make sure your lines look consistent otherwise you have a really thick bit of writing where you fill the ink bottle up a really thin one at the end but effectively that was like that was her, she just sort of had a moment of inspiration and said, because she tried it with a lot of different things, and then she realised that this could just be perfect. Yeah, and some, something a bit more absorbent, she, and that would have got wet and stayed wet, but not fallen apart. Exactly, yeah. and she called it her perfect coffee enjoyment when she uh, first used that paper, so there you go. The problem with that paper is I don't imagine it ever being produced in a size that would have fit a coffee filter. Now we use really thin strips, and I think then they use strips. I think she also made the like tin pots that it would go in. So you'd have the coffee filter and then you'd have a tin pot which had some holes stuck in it. You put the coffee filter in, into that specific tin pot, and then that helps the coffee as well. So it, it was, I think it sounds like a, a bit of a, a double product really thing. Yes, but the blotting paper is usually much smaller than the top of a coffee cup. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. So you're saying Germans had bigger blotting paper? I, I assume so. I assume that you might have had a big piece because of you were using it a lot more often. Maybe they had a big bit that they cut the strips off. Who knows? I don't really mind either way. What I like the most is that Melita Melita decided that her nice coffee was far more important than her son's education. And if there is anything <laughs> people should take away from this, it is that. Never, never let family obligation hold you back from good coffee. And the kid grew up with, you know, good reputation and a job. He was fine. He didn't need his blotting paper. Well, he did take over the business, and uh, in 1932, yeah. I think, or 1930, and after that, 1930, he took over, and it's like a billion-dollar company at the moment. So he was. I was about to say it went broke because he couldn't do maths. Yeah. <laughs> because he didn't have anything to blot on, but yeah. okay, he managed to overcome that. He got over the uh, messy worksheets with uh, just a little bit of extra pocket money. Yeah, it turns out your resume doesn't need to be well written if mum and dad are the boss. <laughs> it's very true. The problem with that is, if it's the if it is that, then it kind of is the definition of a family business, which is statement three. Yeah. So statement three is just that it I can elaborate a bit more by saying that it very much started with the mum and the dad, the two sons, and then um, they like set it up in their own uh, apartment as well. So it's very much just, this is our family business. It's very hard to start a business that's not a family business. It's very true. In 1908 Germany. I'm guessing I didn't go there. 
So how it would work is basically, or this is what I gathered anyway, the mum would help make them with a small crew eventually. The sons would deliver them around Dresden in little hand carts. And then the dad would also do demonstrations about how to use it. Because again, it's this new thing that you have to sort of tell people how to use. So he would be set up in a window at the front of the apartment. He was, he was a salesman. Yeah. And then that was eventually, um, that his job was eventually passed over to the demonstration ladies. <laughs> uh, he, which he, that was an idea he got off someone who owned a German department store. So he became, his, his oh. demonstration job was taken over by the demonstration ladies, which I think is quite a funny <laughs> name for them. Excellent. And I think Selfridges would have been getting quite big in England at that point. So I like the department store crossover. Yeah, this is this is so. This is in the. This was after the First World War as well that they were becoming a lot more popular. Oh um, right, right, right. Um, Selfridges was a big deal by then. So I'd say o- Oxford Street would have been full of demonstration women. Yeah, like department stores in Germany as well were just like known for their window displays. There's there's a very interesting history, a very interesting sort of development in the twenties and thirties about just window displays in general and. You can actually, there's a very interesting history that I won't go into about uh, shop mannequins in the 20s and 30s, in Germany especially. But that's for another podcast. There you go, people at home. There's a, there's a topic for you. Yeah, there you go. I will look that up, so I'll report back in if I find anything particularly <laughs> of note. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say a lost art, but it is a lost art now. There's not a lot of effort put into window displays. But very much so in the 20s and 30s, which is why you'd need demonstration, ladies. You would. Imagine all the coffee beans you could put on the bottom and make a really nice display. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I mean, you've done an excellent job because literally all of these could be true and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get particular indication of any of the answers, which one flat out isn't. The issue, obviously, is quantifying definition of family business. Like, for that to be a lie, it would have to be that. I more, I more meant that, where by family business, I meant that, like, her, her husband was involved, her two sons were involved, and it was very much, like, community atmosphere in Dresden. And for that not to be true, there would either have to be not be a family or the husband had another job and yeah. one of the other sons, when did something else. Yeah. I re- it feels like the kind of thing you write two good statements and then you go, oh, I don't actually have a third one. I'll write that it was a family business, which is an excellent decoy tactic <laughs> for what is, the, what is actually a truth. Um, if you've put together the patent lie... You've done a good job, but also that could have happened with, did happen with lots of things as we went through. I'm going to say true based on that relatively well holding up. I'm going to have to say the notebook was a lie and the blotting paper, although I think you covered that well, and I do think blotting paper would work quite well as a coffee filter. So I actually expect to be wrong in this case and will not be in any way upset (laughs) with either the other two being revealed as wrong. And yeah, let's go with it. Number two, lie. Well, despite... You were claiming you won't be upset. I think you will be because two is true. Two is true. So blotting paper was bigger. Yep. The one that is false is statement one. It was never stolen. Henrik Buchner does not exist. Uh, she and her husband patented it in 1908. They went to the uh, Dresden Patent Office or whatever and they patented it themselves. Yep, which is... That was how things would have been done. No, I'm not upset because that is, as we said, that could have been done lots of other times. 
And if I had have got more of an indication that the the patent story didn't quite hold up, I would have been there. But in Australia, for example, a patent usually lasts, depending on the jurisdiction and the kind of thing, eight years. You can get extensions up to twenty, so you definitely could have become a billion dollar company afterwards, and they would have been much harder to enforce. I I did I did panic as soon as you said that you knew patent law, and I was like, oh god, because now I'm just having to lie about this. That I've got very little note. I've got very little notes no, on my I, lie here, so I'm like, I'm really hoping that it just. I can bullshit it. I wouldn't have expected the story to say after the patent expired <laughs> in 14 years, the company was able to suddenly expand to England where her third cousin owned an importing business. I wouldn't expect that kind of yeah. line in a Wikipedia article or anything similar. So I was kind of, I wasn't going to guess that one honest possibility of a lie because I just had more questions to come with the, the, the other thing with two was you said son's notebook, then you said blotting paper and a blotting paper might have come in the notebooks, but that's yeah. not how I would have written that if it was true. So that was good tactic. I might employ that another time. But uh, I like that fact. I think that's really cool. And I like the crossover, the intrinsic crossover between two things that would later become perhaps my two favourite things in life and Germans made <laughs> my favourite pens. I will just say, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Melita Benz as well because... Her son took over in 1930, but she still had a hand in the business to make sure that everyone that worked for them was looked after very nicely. They got, they all got Christmas bonuses, five-day work weeks, and a three-week holiday, which was quite, which was a massive thing at that time as well. She was treating her, her yeah. workers like humans and ensuring that they had satisfactory living conditions. Every oh, cup of God, every cup of coffee I'll have from now on will be a little bit more delicious. I'm I'm switching to filter even though I'm worried about the wastefulness in it. I don't even care anymore. Cut the trees down. Let's make coffee paper out of it. <laughs> oh god, you could. Yeah. There you go. There's there's your there's your, your strings through the two sections. <laughs> think, how many, uh, think how many coffee filters you got in the wow. centurion. Oh, it would taste awful. It would taste like kind of oily, slightly minty, and just general guilt. I could not in good conscience drink a coffee made from Centurion. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing for sure, John. There won't be a table that we're sitting across from. Because Annabelle will not be hearing from me ever again unless she listens to this podcast. <laughs> There'll be an ocean yeah, she does. <laughs> Her name's not Annabelle, so she will have only just figured it out. And I'm sorry I'm going a bit hard. I think your privacy's been protected. But oh. do not ever also... go into dating apps like that again. And also... Annabelle, you've got nice tastes, so uh, keep going. Maybe you'll find the right I, person eventually. I don't know if she does. <laughs> cup of tea. You can have a cup of I'll tea tell you one, of coffee. I'll tell you one thing that won't surprise you, John. She's a bloody Hufflepuff. <laughs> I'm not getting into that. I refuse to entertain that notion. Yeah, because you probably are too. <laughs> How dare you? I think you'll find I'm actually, right. I'm actually a Gryffindor. Oh, yeah. According, according to the one time I did that test. To be fair, John, you could go in anything except Slytherin. Oh, cheers, mate. I just don't... I don't think you would... like Ravenclaw that much. I don't know, you might. Like, we're pretty... we're a bit cold. But... Just you'd, you'd probably go, okay. Yeah, yeah, you would be in Gryffindor. I hate to break it to you, but it, is, it isn't it is real. So, sorry, sorry, mate. 